You are listening to a podcast by Spring Hill Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. Spring Hill Church is called to reach everyday people with God's grace, His unconditional love, and the life-changing power of His Word. Thanks for listening, and if you would like more information, you can visit us online at springhill.cc. All right, well, we'll pray and we'll get started. Y'all ready for some word tonight? Yes. Me too. Mm -hmm. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you once again for another opportunity, Lord, to, to gather together with friends and family, Father, to receive your word tonight. Father, I thank you for the word of God. I thank you that it's alive and sharp and, and it is able to uh, work in us, to change us, to mold us and shape us into your image. Father, I thank you that it's powerful and that, Lord, it has the ability to change the circumstances of our lives. And, Lord, I thank you that as we look to your word, we believe tonight to receive revelation and insight. I thank mm -hmm. you for the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said he is the teacher and so we expect to be taught tonight. We release our faith in advance for it. And thank you for revelation knowledge tonight. And we thank give you all the praise in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Well, in praying about what uh, to talk about, uh, I, the Lord just kind of stirred my heart. And this is something that I deal with on a consistent basis anyway. And I doubt very seriously that I'm alone in this. But we're going to talk mm -hmm. about how to win over worry. How to win over mm -hmm. worry. Does anybody else mm -hmm. on here deal with worry like I do? Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, we're going to talk about how to to uh, get the victory over worry. So uh, let's look at Matthew chapter 6. And I want to look at what Jesus said. And I'm going to read it in its entirety. Uh 10 verses from the New King James. And then as we study it, I'm going to break it down and look at it from the Passion Translation just because I like the way the Passion uh, verbalizes some things. So let's look at Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34. And uh, this is Jesus speaking. This is in his Sermon on the Mount that we all are probably familiar with. And, and uh, so he begins in verse 25 and he says, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? You know, we could stop right at that very first phrase where he says, do not worry about your life. And, uh, you know, here's something that you and I have to do. If we read something in the word, especially out of the mouth of Jesus, where he says, don't do something, then we have to make up our minds that we're going to adapt our lives to that. Now, you know, if Jesus said, do not worry about your life and we worry about our life, let me ask you a question. Is that sin? Yes. Okay. Thank you for that one. Yes, Brenda. I appreciate that. All right. So, but yeah, I mean, Jesus uh, told us, do not worry. So if again, in our desire to, to obey him in every area of our lives, then this is something that we must deal with. Okay, so let's go on. Verse 26, look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of much more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? 
So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Now let me read verses 25 through 27 to you from the Passion Translation. It says this, This is why I tell you to never be worried about your life. For all that you need will be provided, such as food, water, clothing, everything your body needs. Isn't there more to your life than a meal? Isn't your body more than clothing? Verse 26, look at all the birds. Do you think they worry about their existence? They don't plant or reap or store up food, yet your heavenly Father provides them each with food. Aren't you much more valuable to your Father than they? So which of you by worrying could add anything to your life? The answer to that question is none of us. Worrying doesn't add anything to our lives. If anything, it extracts from our lives. And so, you know, notice that Jesus used the example of the birds. He said in verse 26, look at all the birds. Do you think they worry about their existence? They don't plant, plant or reap or store up food, yet your heavenly Father provides them each with food. And it's interesting to me that Jesus used birds in his sermon and what he was talking about here uh, because typically birds in the animal kingdom are considered some of the the, the lower class of animals. They uh, definitely are lower than we are in the scheme of things. And, uh, you know, birds can't, as Jesus said, they can't do anything to provide for themselves. Uh, the only thing they can do is go out and seek food uh, that is already out there. But um, they can't save for the future. They can't sow and reap, and yet God takes care of them. And I love what Jesus says, you know, look, look at all the birds. Do you think they worry about their existence? You know, in my 59 years of life, I have yet to see a bird up uh, at night pacing the floor trying to figure out how he's going to take care of his own life. No, birds in instinctively have it built into them uh, that they will be taken care of. And so um, God has a plan to take care of and provide for the lowest form, one of the lowest forms in the animal world. And as Jesus said, are we not much better than they? So the implication is, if we as humans are far superior to the birds, then surely God will take care of us. And God has a plan of provision for us. Just like he has a plan of provision for the animals, he has a plan of provision for us. So let's go on. Let's uh, continue reading from the Passion in verse 28. 
And why would you worry about your clothing? Look at all the beautiful flowers of the field. They don't work or toil. And yet not even Solomon in all his splendor, <coughs> excuse me, was robed in beauty more than one of these. So if God has clothed the meadow with hay, which is here for such a short time and then dried up and burned, won't he provide for you the clothes you need even though you live with such little faith, or as the King James says, oh, you of little faith. So again, Jesus talks about the lilies of the field, how, how they do not toil, they don't spin, they don't do anything. And he's talking about spinning as in the olden days when they used to make their own cloth. And so yet God clothes them and, uh, you know, that he takes care of their appearance and of course, Jesus' point was that God will take care of us. He'll provide those basic necessities for us. So then let's go on in verse 31. So then forsake your worries. Why would you say, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear? For that is what the unbelievers chase after. Doesn't your heavenly father already know the things your bodies require? Or you could say that you need in the natural. So above all, constantly chase after the realm of God's kingdom and the righteousness that proceeds from him, then all these less important things will be given to you abundantly. Refuse to worry about tomorrow, but deal with each challenge that comes your way one day at a time. Tomorrow will take care of itself. Now I want to look at, at verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. So the key to walking in this provision that God has promised and Jesus said that the father would provide for us is found in verse 33. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. The Amplified says it this way, but seek, aim at, and strive after first of all, his kingdom and his righteousness, and then it says in parentheses after his righteousness, his way of doing and being right, then all these things taken together will be given you besides. Okay, so going back to verse 33, Jesus said that we're supposed to seek first the kingdom of God. So the, 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 then that brings to bear the question, what is the kingdom of God? Somebody want to tell me what the kingdom of God is? Anybody? I say that it's the, the um, well, for, for me, it's the, it's the, the revelation and, and the spiritual wisdom and you know guidance that we are entitled to and uh, it's, it's also what uh, Jesus talked about when he said you know he was going to uh, do the model prayer that his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven so right uh, I, was, I was, for me that's what that's what it means the kingdom of, of God okay well, let me ask heaven. let me ask this question is he talking about heaven the place where we're all going to go uh, after we uh, die mm -hmm. Yes. Oh. Oh. I think he's talking about Jesus's principles. Okay. All right. Well, you this and Linda are, are exactly right. Uh, he's not referring to the 
to heaven, the place heaven, that we're all going to go. The kingdom of God is, is includes heaven, but the kingdom of God is, it, did you say something, Matt? I'd say it's, with, it's within us. Yeah, it I, is. It is within it, us. It, it, um, it says that. Well, if you think about a kingdom, a kingdom has a king. And so what you're referring to, and, and, and Yvonne and Linda touched on it, and that is this, you're, you're talking about the laws, the principles, the things that are the guiding factors on which that kingdom is established. Okay, so, you know, if I, if I am referring to uh, the United Kingdom, talking about Great Britain and things like that, well, the, Great Britain is a literal place, but when you're talking about the United Kingdom, you're talking about the reign of the monarch, you're talking about all the rules and, and laws and principles that are, are pertinent to that particular kingdom. So what Jesus is saying to us is, that the kingdom of God represents all of the laws that the kingdom that God of the kingdom that God has established. And so when Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God, you know, some have taken that to mean, well, I need to seek heaven. No, what, heaven is a given. If you are born again and you know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, you are destined to for for an eternity in heaven with the Lord. So that, mm -hmm. that is taken care of. And, and, you know, forgive me for saying it this way, you really don't have to seek that. It comes as a, a, a blessing and a reward of giving our lives to Christ. So it, it must be something greater than that. So what Jesus is saying is that we need to seek after God's principles, his governing laws, and the things that pertain to the kingdom. Now, let me ask you this. Is the kingdom of God natural or is it spiritual? It's spiritual. Yeah, absolutely. So if the kingdom of God is spiritual, then that must mean it is governed by spiritual laws. Okay. Now, again, we're, we're following what Jesus said when he said, seek first the kingdom of God. And, uh, and, and let me just make a little side note here. Notice he did not say, seek only the kingdom of God. People have read that into that verse. All he said is keep God's kingdom, his principles, the spiritual laws that govern the kingdom ahead of everything else, but you can seek other things. Okay. Now in talking about these spiritual laws, we need to understand some basic principles or differences between spiritual laws and natural laws. Okay. So if, if you're, if you're thinking or writing notes, kind of think about this with me. Most of the time, natural laws work and respond instantaneously. You know, let me give you an example. Uh, a natural law would be gravity. Okay. So, you know, I live on a second floor, uh, apartment. And if I step out on my balcony and, um, you know, if I jump off that balcony, I'm going to experience instantaneously the natural law of gravity. It's going to kick in and I am going to the ground. Now, whether I'm prepared to land properly or not is up to me, but you see how, uh, when you, uh, operate a spiritual law or you, you flow with a spiritual law like that, you will experience instantaneous results. 
Now, here's the difference or a big difference between natural law and spiritual law. Spiritual law very often is not instantaneous in the natural realm. Okay? Spiritual law takes time to impact this natural realm. Now, there are things that will take place instantaneously in the spirit, but a lot of times when we step into spiritual laws and principles, even though there are things that are happening in the spirit realm, the, the impact of those things in the natural very often will take a long time or seem like they are delayed. Okay, so you need to understand that difference uh, because, for instance, if there are uh, things that, well, let me give you an example. This is a great example. Um, you know, it is a given that we should, and the Bible teaches this in Proverbs chapter 22, that we need to uh, teach our children, we need to raise our children in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. That is a spiritual principle. But how many of you know that even though you might start that with children at a very, very early age, you might not see results from that until they, I mean, it could be as late as when they become or enter into adulthood. Okay, and so what am I saying? The, the, the results of that spiritual principle are not necessarily instantaneous, but it is working. It is having an impact. And so what we have to know and we have to understand is, particularly in the life of faith, is that, and this is why, again, the scripture teaches so strongly for us not to be moved by the natural realm where our faith in God's word is concerned. Uh, because a lot of times we base our faith on what we see happening in the natural realm versus knowing that these spiritual laws and principles are working, but they're working in a, in a place and in a realm where we can't see them working, okay? But they will have an effect. I mean, we know for a fact that the Bible says that the word of God will not return void. It is impossible for the word of God not to perform. It is impossible for it not to come to pass. So spiritual law, spiritual principles, um, don't have an instantaneous payback, if you will, in the natural realm very often. So what we have to learn to do is understand that at going in and understanding that those natural laws are working, but we might not see the impact of it uh, immediately in the natural realm. Now, why is this so important? Because that is the realm where God works. That is the realm where God lives. That is the realm where the Holy Spirit lives. And if we're going to live a life of faith, we have to understand that principle and that governing factor about the kingdom of God so that um, our faith will remain strong. And when we're believing God for something, we know that God's word cannot fail and that it is inevitable for it eventually to show up in the natural, even though it might not be instantaneous in the natural, okay? So the kingdom has within it these spiritual laws that if I will work and cooperate with them, they will work on my behalf, okay? So keep in mind what Jesus said. Now again, he's telling us not to worry. 
not to be anxious, not to worry about our lives, but to, and the needs, the basic necessities of life, but to seek first the kingdom of God. Now here's what we thought Jesus was saying. Uh, don't worry about your life. God's going to take care of you if you're seeking going to church all the time, or if you're seeking to do this or do that. And that's, that's included in it. Don't misunderstand me. But what Jesus is telling us is, is that we need to understand uh, and relate to the spiritual laws that govern the kingdom of God in a way that they will work for us and uh, will um, work on our behalf. God set them up that way. He designed for them to work that way. Okay. So how do you work a spiritual law? Well, you work a spiritual law by faith. Faith is the key that works spiritual law. Okay. It is our faith in God's word that opens the door for God to be able to move in our lives. So we need to have just as much confidence. Okay. So listen, I, again, in my 59 years of existence, I've seen gravity work many, many times. Uh, fortunately, I haven't had to jump off my balcony in order to see that, but I have seen it work many, many times. I mean, you throw a rock in the air, it's coming down. Okay. Because of that law of gravity. So here's something that I want us to get. We need to have as much confidence in spiritual law as we do in that natural law. In other words, my faith in the law of gravity is very well developed. Why? Because I've seen it function. I need to just as, as vigorously and strongly have my faith developed in spiritual laws and because they work exactly the same. It's just in a realm that you can't see. All right. Is that making sense to you? Okay. So if, if spiritual laws worked in the natural instantaneously, then guess what? We wouldn't have to teach the Bible. I wouldn't have to teach you these principles. Okay. Everyone would see if I will simply do what the word says, I'll get the results that the word promises. Just like if I jump off my balcony, I'm going to hit the ground. Okay. But it doesn't work that way. God has set this thing up so that it requires faith for us and our, our, that we have to operate this way. So he designed spiritual laws to work this way so that we would have to obey them by faith. Okay. So let me give you an example. So, uh, you know, the Bible teaches us and, and, you know, this is the best example I can think of at the moment. The Bible teaches us in Luke 6, 38 and other scriptures that if we give, it'll be given back to us, good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over, shall men give unto our bosom. And which, by the way, is much, much greater than money. All right. You're in, you know, actually what Jesus was talking about when he said that was forgiveness. So, you know, natural or excuse me, spiritual law says, if I sow forgiveness, I will reap forgiveness. Now here's where faith comes in. I might not reap forgiveness uh, in five minutes. I might reap forgiveness a year from now or six months from now or however long that it takes. And uh, so what that requires is for me to do what Jesus said simply because he said it and I do it by faith. Okay. All right. So 
you know, but because these things don't happen instantaneously, this is why people so are easily able to dismiss spiritual laws. Well, you know, I tried that, that faith stuff and it doesn't work. You know, I, I tried to believe God for my healing and, and I didn't get healed. And so healing must have passed away with the apostles and, and so on and so forth. Well, why do they do that? Why do people do that? It's because they try to operate a spiritual law and expect instantaneous natural results. And sometimes it doesn't work that way. Okay. You have to do what the word says and believe by faith that it will perform or that God will perform what his word says. So Jesus said, don't worry about your natural provision, but seek first the principles and laws that govern the kingdom. So if we're going to obey that, then what does that mean I'm going to need to do? Be patient. Okay. Be patient. All right. Let, 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 let's say I have some natural needs, you know, whether it's clothing or, you know, using Jesus example, food, clothing, whatever. Okay. So if, if, that is a need in my life and I'm not supposed to worry about that need being met or taken care of, but instead I'm supposed to seek first the principles of the kingdom. Then what does that mean? I am supposed to do. Ask and have faith. Rejoice and thank the Lord. Yes. What'd you say, Matt? I just was looking back at 33. King, seek first kingdom of God and his righteousness. Yeah, we'll get to and, that that part in just a second. And these things. Okay. Okay. I mean, they're connected, but I'm separating him, them for this lesson. Okay. Copy so, Stand firm on the word. Yeah. Say that again, Delsa Ray. Stand firm on the word. Yeah, that's part of it. Okay. But, but again, think about what is a spiritual principle that I can do in seeking first the kingdom of God that can facilitate my natural needs being taken care of. Well, you walk in the spirit. Walking. I mean, you're, you're giving good and, and right answers, but not exactly the answer I'm looking for. <laughs> Think spiritual law. What's a spiritual law? Somebody give me an example of a spiritual law. Uh, gravity, well, not gravity, but it, it would it mean that you then you you're consistent you're consistent with your steadfastness. Seek and you shall find. Okay. Um, As you believe, you speak. Yeah, mm -hmm. I mean that that is a spiritual law. Okay, but what is it? What about the Ten Commandments? Yeah, those are those are good, and we need to obey those. Okay, but seed, faith, and harvest. What say that again, Kathy? Seed, faith, and harvest. See, well, so let's say it's seed time and harvest. Okay. Seed time and harvest. Yeah. Okay. That is a spiritual law. Okay. Now those other things are good and, and they're proper, but if I am in need of natural needs being met, okay, then a law, a principle that is given to us in the word of God, that if I will seek after that law, that principle that is a, a, a part of the kingdom of God, that Jesus said my needs will be taken care of. So Kathy 
gave the right answer. So if I need, you know, using what Jesus said, uh, the natural need of clothing, okay? So what is something that I can do to seek first the, the principles and laws for that? Well, then if I have some clothes, I could sew that and, and step out in faith on the, the, the principle of God's kingdom that says uh, seed, time, and harvest. And then what I have done is I have opened the door for God to be able to step into that and be able to move on my behalf. In other words, I have sought first a law and principle of the kingdom of God. And uh, if I will do that and do it by faith, then God will see to it that the return or uh, the... Uh, I'm trying to think of another word, but the results of that law will be manifested in my life. Okay. Let, let's say it, let's do it this way. Let's say, um, I need, I need friendships. I need relationships. Then what is a spiritual law that I can operate on? Seek first from the kingdom of God and God will see to it that I receive relationships. <clears throat> Do yourself friendly. Yeah, that's perfect, Yvonne. The book of Proverbs says if you, you know, I'm paraphrasing, but if you want friends, you got to show yourself friendly. So in other words, if I need relationships, then I'm going to have to walk in love. I'm going to have to pursue good, healthy relationships and believe God for those relationships. And so what I'm doing is, is I'm seeking the kingdom of God, I'm seeking God's operations. I'm seeking the way he does things, okay? And so in doing that, I open the door for that need to be met in my life, all right? So uh, here's where we miss it. Let me, let me go at it this way. Using the natural needs that Jesus was talking about in Matthew chapter six, what we have a tendency to do is we see that and we go, okay, God, I'm expecting you to, um, you know, provide food, clothing, you know, and, and the things that Jesus provided. So, okay, do your thing, God. All right. What's wrong with that picture? No works. There's no corresponding action. Okay. In other words, if I believe what Jesus said is true, then what I need to do is, yes, release my faith and say, God, do what you do and do your part, but I've also got a part to play in that. So in seeking first the kingdom of God, if I don't know what I'm supposed to do, then I need to get in the word and I need to pray and say, God, okay, uh, what is my part in this? What is it that I need to do so that this spiritual law that governs your kingdom can come to pass in my life? All right. See, there's a, and I'm going to talk about this some Sunday, but there is a misbelief in the body of Christ where the sovereignty of God is concerned. Okay. And let me define sovereignty. If you look it up in the dictionary, sovereign means the highest, the greatest, uh, the most powerful. Okay. And all of those things describe our sovereign heavenly father. But what we've done in the body of Christ is 
we have said God is sovereign and he can do whatever he wants to do whenever he wants to do it to whomever he wants to do it. All right. Mm -hmm. So if it's God's will for my needs to be taken care of, then he's just going to take care of my needs no matter what I do. And, and, you know, if you've walked with the Lord and have any knowledge of the word of God, you know that that is not true. Okay. And, you know, and then when you keep pushing that, you, you get down to the whole thing. Well, you know, God's in control. And so whatever happens, it happens because God uh, caused it to happen. Good, bad, indifferent, whatever. And, and there's nothing further from the truth of God's word. Now, we do depend utterly and entirely upon God, but we cannot dismiss our part to play in this equation. Okay. So when Jesus said, don't worry about whatever it is that you're tempted to worry about, but seek first the kingdom of God, what he's telling us is instead of worrying, evaluate and make sure that you are, are cooperating with and flowing with the kingdom of God in order to facilitate your needs being taken care of. Okay. Are you with me so far? Mm -hmm. All right. So what's the second thing he told us to pursue in Matthew 6, 33? He said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All right. So what is righteousness? Somebody tell me what righteousness is. Right standing with God. It's right standing with God. Okay. Here's what we, and you're exactly right. Here's what we have a tendency to do, though, is confuse righteousness with holiness. So here's what we thought that scripture said. Seek first the kingdom of God and do everything we can to live perfectly before the Lord. And then these things will be added unto you. Okay? That is not what that verse says. Holiness and righteousness are two different things. Okay? Holiness is living pure. I mean, if you look it up in the dictionary, the definition is holiness is living pure in moral word and conduct. Okay. Which we need to live holy lives. Don't misunderstand me. All right. But righteousness is about position. It's about posture. It's about who we are. Holiness is about what we are becoming. Okay, do you see the difference? Mm -hmm. let, let me say it to you this way. We live a holy life because we are righteous and not the other way around. You are holy because you are righteous. You are not righteous because you are holy. Okay, see righteousness is not a result of us living in pure and moral, right and pure moral conduct. Righteousness is something that we are and we have as a result of what Jesus did for us. Now, holiness comes as we seek to live in righteousness. Okay, that's why the Bible says, and I forget where the reference is, but the Bible says, awake to righteousness and sin not. Okay, so we need to awake to righteousness. 
And what, but what we have done is we've confused the two and thought that, okay, well, I got to clean up my life and then I'll be right in God's eyes. No, the moment you got born again, you became right in God's eyes. Okay. You were, you were made right in God's eyes. So holiness comes as a result of us walking in that righteousness. Okay. All right. So that being said, Righteousness is right standing with God, as Kathy said, and it's more about position than anything else. Okay? So it's a position of being right with God. It's a position of being blessed with God. It's, it's a position of being clean and pure in God's eyes because of what Jesus did for us. And even though they're related, it is not based on how holy you live. This side of heaven, you and I cannot live holy enough to deserve God's righteousness. The only way we are made righteous is because of what Jesus did for us. Okay. Now, obviously in our lives, our, our desire ought to be to live as far and and get as far as we can from sin but as long as we live in this broken world and we live in these flesh bodies we're still subject you know to sin now we ain't don't aim to but we uh you know it is a possibility but righteousness is based solely and entirely on what Jesus did for us and it is our position with God so that being said um, think about this verse again. Seek first the kingdom of God, the, the principles, the laws that govern the kingdom of God, and pursue after our position in Christ, in God, and all these things will be added to you, is what Jesus was telling us. Okay, so um, again, Jesus put us in the right position with God. Now, let me ask you a question. Anybody ever gone through the drive-thru at McDonald's? Yes. Okay. Or cookout or wherever your favorite restaurant is. Okay. In order for them to receive your order, or let's say it this way, in order for them to have effective communication with you and for there to be a flow between you and your car and the people on the inside of that restaurant in order to be able to hear and receive what you desire and your order and so forth and so on, where does your car need to be positioned for that to happen? Speaker. In front of the speaker, yeah. Okay, so let's say I'm at McDonald's, I'm in the drive through line and I pull up, but I am 30 feet from that kiosk that has that speaker built into it. And I can hear them off in the distance saying, hello, welcome to McDonald's. May I take your order, please? And so I'm sitting in my car and I speak with a normal tone. Yes, I would like uh, a Big Mac uh, with large fry and, and a drink. And what's going to be the, the result of that? They're not going to be able to hear me. And chances are my hearing of what they're doing is going to be misconstrued as well. Why is that? They're not in the right position. Say it again, Matt. You're not in the right position. <laughs> I'm not in the right position. Okay. So 
in order for me to have a clear and concise communication with the people inside that restaurant, then I must be postured and positioned correctly in order for that to take place. Now, here's something that you need to understand. If I pull up and I'm 30 feet short of that speaker, um, is somebody going to come out of that restaurant and dig up that speaker and move it so that it's sitting by my car? No. Okay. Well, Chick-fil-A is kind of adapted to that now that they got folks standing out there that will walk up to your car, but for, forget Chick-fil-A for a minute. All right. Okay. So for my, in other words, am I right in expecting that restaurant to adapt to me if I am sitting 30 or 40 feet away from that speaker and yet I want to order some food? No, of course not. So what is it that I need to do? I need to pursue and do everything that I can to make sure I'm in the right position. All right. So that being said, we're born again and we're put in the right position. All right. To be able to have this interaction with the Lord and be able to communicate with him and all of that. But how many of you know there are things that can come up in our lives? There are distractions that can happen. There are, uh, you know, things that can just happen that cause us to get out of position to where we cannot hear and receive from God like he wants us to. Okay. I can say I've been there. I've done that. Even after I've been born again and so forth. And I'm not talking about sin. I'm just talking about, you know, things going on in life. Okay. And you, all of a sudden one day you wake up and you realize, man, I haven't been spending any time in the word. I haven't been spending any time in prayer and so <laughs> forth and so on. What does that mean? Well, God hasn't moved. God hasn't changed where his speaker is at all. The problem is I'm out of position. I'm out of alignment. In other words, uh, and for me to say, well, God, why don't you move the speaker back here? So you're in line with what I'm saying. That's not the way God works. Okay. So what do I have to do? I have to seek after and pursue after maintaining my position in righteousness. Okay. So again, the two things that I need to look after if I want God's provision in my life is I've got to seek God's principles, his methods of operation so that I can do things the way he wants me to do them. And then secondly, I need to pursue and seek after maintaining my position in him and what he has made me in Christ. So that's what Jesus said in verse 33 when he said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and then all these things will be added to you. Okay, so here's Jesus' promise. Don't worry. He tells us it's a commandment. Do not worry. But instead of worrying, here's what we need to pursue after. We need to pursue after what is God's method of operation concerning this particular situation? And then am I maintaining my position and my posture so that I can clearly hear and communicate with heaven 
and, and receive instruction or do whatever I need to do uh, in order to facilitate God moving in my life. Okay. So let me say this to you. If you choose to worry, you're bypassing verse 33 altogether. So if you're, and we'll talk more about this later on, but if you're choosing to live a life of worry, then you're, you're not seeking first the kingdom of God and you're definitely not pursuing after your position in righteousness. Okay. I, can I just jump to the, to one of the punchlines is this, and you know, it would do you good if you wrote this down. When you and I worry, we're trying to be our own God. In other words, we're trying in our finite and limited wisdom, trying to be God and solve our problems. All right. And guess what? If you want to do that, God will let you. If you want to try to be your own God and figure out your own situation out and try and come up with your own answers and so forth, then God in his mercy and grace, he loves you. He's going to protect your right to choose and he's going to step away and let you do what you're trying to do. Okay. Mm -hmm. But if we make up our minds and we say, God, I don't know what to do in this situation, but I am not going to worry. And here's the thing that I'm going to do. I'm going to find out if I don't know what needs to take place, uh, according to your word, what the principles, what the laws are that govern this situation that I am facing, uh, then I'm going to get in your word and I'm going to find out. And then I'm going to make sure that my, I'm doing my part in maintaining my position so that I am able to clearly hear instruction from you, receive from you, and, and there is clear interaction between me and my heavenly father. Mm -hmm. You know, I love the fact that uh, Jesus said in verse 32, for after all these things, the Gentiles seek for your heavenly father knows that you need all these things. So there's two things in that one verse right there. Number one is, God is your heavenly father. Now we've heard that so much in Western religion that it's lost its impact to us, to these Jewish men who were sitting here and, and these people that heard Jesus say that, that was absolutely foreign to them, that God is their heavenly father. So that was a biggie right there. But then, okay, um, the last part of that could almost seem cruel. If you think about it, if you think, okay, here's God sitting in heaven, knowing that I need all of these things, and yet he's doing nothing about it, then that's pretty cruel. But that's not what Jesus is saying. Your father, not God, your father, God, knows that you need all of these things. And the implication in those two things put together is he desires to meet those needs, but you're going to have to do it his way. Okay. All right. So are y'all tracking with me so far? Yes. Okay. All right. Let me make this uh, last point real quick. All right. Turn over with me to Galatians chapter three. Galatians chapter three. Galatians chapter three. 
in verse 13, says this, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Now, why did Jesus do that? And notice there's a comma at the end of that verse. So, so Paul continues his thought. So that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Okay? Now listen to the uh, Passion Translation. All right? Uh, verse 13, Yet Christ paid the full price to set us free from the curse of the law. He absorbed it completely as he became a curse in our place. For it is written, everyone who is hung upon a tree is doubly cursed. In verse 14, Jesus our Messiah was cursed in our place and in so doing dissolved the curse from our lives so that all the blessings of Abraham can be poured out upon even non-Jewish believers. And now God gives us the promise of the wonderful Holy Spirit who lives within us when we believe in him. And then if you drop down to verse 29, let me ask a question before we read verse 29. Is there anybody on this Bible study tonight that is belongs to Christ? Yes. Amen. Yeah. Okay, mm -hmm. I'm going to assume everybody, all right? So verse 29 says this in the New King James, And if you are Christ, then are you Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. All right, so you need to understand a little something about Jewish heritage and covenant relationships. So what Paul just told us in those three, four verses is this. Because you got born again and because you are in Christ, the curse has been removed off of you and now you have been brought into and made a child of Abraham in the lineage of Abraham. And because of that, Abraham's blessing now rests upon you. Okay, so now what I want to do is, is get us to understand that we are positionally and relationally in the family of God. Okay, so um, I got to skip some, for the sake of time. I got to skip a couple of things. So I want you to think about this with me for just a moment and think historically. Okay, the Bible says that Abraham in his lifetime was exceedingly rich in material possessions. He, he lacked for nothing. He was extremely blessed. The Bible says that Isaac, his son, was extremely blessed and prosperous. And I'm talking in the natural realm. And then Isaac's son, Jacob, was also blessed and prosperous in the natural realm. Why? all because they were in that Abrahamic family and the blessing of Abraham rest upon not only Abraham, but his heirs, Isaac and Jacob. So all of this was because of this covenant and family relationship that God had presented this on here. But if you fast forward 400 years in history after Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, you see... God's people, the Abrahamic people, the Jewish people, living in bondage, utter poverty, and in slavery. All right? 
Are you with me? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes, so here are two questions we need to think about when we hear that story. And we all are familiar with that story. What caused the children of Abraham who were in Egypt in bondage to not walk in what God had already blessed them with as a part of that family? You know, listen, they really didn't have to do a whole lot in order to experience the blessing, a natural manifestation of that blessing. All they had to do was be born into that family. Okay. Now, what caused them to live in the state that they were living in? And if you'll think about it, think, think carefully with me, and I don't have time to get into it all tonight, but could you agree with me that by the time Moses went in to deliver the children of Israel, they were living in a state of worry and anxiety, fretting about their lives, you know, wondering where God was, all of those types of questions. Could you agree with me in that? Yes. Okay. Yes, all right. So why? Why were they in that state? Why? What happened to them if they're of Abraham, they're of that family? Why was it that they weren't any longer living in the blessing that was on them as a part of that family? Okay, well, let's answer that question. The, the children of Israel worried and were living in that state because they did not know what was theirs as members of God's family and what God had already blessed them with through Abraham. Okay. The problem was that the people 400 years later, they had no clue or very little insight into what God had done in Abraham's life, how God had blessed them, him and, and in so blessed them. And so as as they drifted further and further away from that knowledge, they were no longer walking in that blessing and they were living a life full of worry and anxiety. Can I say it to you this way? They were basically living like everybody around them when they did not have to. Okay. Mm -hmm. I want you to think about this now. And I'm, I'm talking to me just like I'm talking to you. Okay. They did not fully understand what family they were a part of and what belonged to them. Okay. So could it be that we as believers are living in the state that we're living in, in our lives because of the two very same reasons? Yes. Number one, we fully don't understand the family that we're a part of. And number two, we don't fully understand what we possess in Christ. Okay. So can I say this to you? It's because we don't understand the kingdom of God. In other words, the laws that God has already put in place to provide for us. And we don't understand what our position is in his family as children of the Lord Jesus Christ and what he has done for us. Mm-hmm. So you and I live in a state of worry because we don't know whose family 
Uh, I mean, we, yes, we've been taught and we, we know it here. We, we register it here. And we say, oh, yeah, uh, you know, I'm a child of Abraham and so forth and so on. And, well, we sing songs. Father Abraham had many sons, you know, and we sing stuff like that. But it doesn't register on the inside of us that Jesus has made me a child. I am just as much a child of Abraham as Isaac was because of what Jesus did for me. And if I am that much a child of Abraham, then Abraham's blessing belongs to me just like it did to Isaac. Mm -hmm. Are you following me? Okay. Yeah. So then why do I worry about my life if I live in that family and, and I'm positionally uh, right with God and God wants to take care of me? Okay. It's all because we don't fully understand those things and we don't walk in them. Okay. So here's the answer to worry right here. If we will get those two things down, worry will have a hard time existing in your life. Amen. Okay. When you know whose family you are a part of and who your heavenly father is, and then you also know what position you're in, in Christ, then your days of worry are numbered. Okay. All right. So this is why Jesus said, and I'm going to leave you with this verse because I'm out of time. Jesus said in John 14, 27, peace I leave, leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. And then he goes on to say, let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I, I, I am excited about this because by the time we're done with this, you are going to know how to win the fight uh, uh, over worry and mm -hmm. be able to eliminate it from your life. Now mm -hmm. I will say this. Okay. It's not a one-time deal. All right. Um, you, you know, I heard somebody say one time, and this was a country person, so forgive me for saying it this way, but the devil is a persistent cuss. Okay. If you're from the country, you know what that means. In other words, worry is going to put up a fight and you're, it's going to take some effort on our part to win that fight. But the good news is you and I can live a worry free life. Here's how I know just from the simple fact of what Jesus said in Matthew six, do not worry for your life. Because if Jesus told us to do something and he didn't provide the means whereby for us to be able to do it, then he's unjust in telling us not to do it. And we know Jesus is just in everything he does. Yes. Amen. Thanks once again for tuning in to the Spring Hill Church podcast. We hope that you have been blessed by today's message. If you would like more information about the church, please feel free to visit us at springhill.cc.